Rio de Janeiro. With a big man. G'day, Kaya. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Frio de Janeiro. My name is Abid Iman and this show is all about engaging conversations with inspirational personalities and public figures to help us understand people, culture and the world. On this episode, we are joined by Josh Granger or Ningaloo Records. He's a prominent vinyl DJ and party starter in Wallylup Fremantle and Borloo, Perth. As someone who enjoys a boogie or ten, I found myself bopping along to his eclectic sets and ability to create fun spaces for underground dance music enjoyment. Josh is an expert vibe creator and curator of sounds. DJs can be very intriguing because they're perched behind the decks, you hear their music but not from them sometimes and that chance to get a bigger appreciation for what they're about. So it was really great to get a chance to chat with Ningaloo about his philosophies towards the art form, collaboration and community. It's an inspiring chat for creatives and anyone who loves music or record collecting will definitely appreciate this one. Find out more about the show on FrioDeGeneiro.com. Please tell one of your mates about it so we can keep it going and enjoy this conversation. Josh Granger. Hello. Ningaloo Records. Abid, how are you? Mate, very, very excited to uh, have you on Frio de Janeiro. And I must say, for many, many years, I've been on your dance floors, boogieing, um, shimmying to your beats. <laughs> I've really appreciated it. Um, admire what you do as a, as a DJ and how you do it as well, um, building community in Frio while you're up and, and around the city. So big congratulations, mate. I love what you do, and so really stoked to be able to talk about it. Thanks, mate. I appreciate the kind words, and appreciate you having spent some time on the on, on the D floor. It's um, you know, it doesn't work if it's just me there by myself. So it's great when people show up and are excited to show up. That's it's kind of the crux of of a dance floor, you know. Yeah, there are DJs out there who do do it by themselves sometimes. I. I know what that feeling's like. So. Oh, I, I no, I, uh, you know, I've, I, I've had my dues playing to empty dance floors. It's, uh, there's a lot to be said about it, actually. It's, uh, you know, working with what's in front of you, and you know, uh, reading the room, even if it is empty. That's sometimes the most important read. <laughs> it's character building as well, isn't it? It really exactly. makes you appreciate. I've always liked to look at it like um, paid, paid practice. You know. Love it. That's a great way to frame it. And uh, there's going to be listeners who um, in the same boat as me who have been on the dance floor and know you from um, the amazing stuff you do in, in, the, in the city. So I think for all of us, I'd love to get to know, um, where did you grow up? What were your favorite memories? And, you know, just take us back, if we can spin that track backwards to <laughs> Little Josh Granger, Little Ningaloo Records. Uh, yeah, I came up, uh, I came up in the southern southern suburbs uh, around Cannington. Um, not much to be said for that area, but um, I had a good group of friends and I lived on the train. I was close to the train station. So I, I was well connected to the city and uh, I grew up coming to Fremantle as well. Uh, you know, like a lot of families, it was sort of like the family trip, you know, the closest beach sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, I was I was a BMX punk kid and, uh yeah, skateboarding, BMX. We were 
running around the suburbs and lots of, you know, house parties and friends living nearby. And yeah, it was kind of semi-rural growing up. So there was a lot of open land and space in the area. Um, so I, yeah, some nice memories of, of fields and stuff like this, you know, it was almost, like I said, semi-rural. Uh, there's a little bit of historical stuff down by like Mason's Landing and some, um, some old sort of colonial housing and stuff like that. But yeah, like I said, for, for me, memories were more made on the uh, train line, I would say. Nice. And there still are many memories are made on the train line. Um, yeah. I've, I've read that your family was quite musical. Um, how did, how did music hit you early on in those years? Um, yeah, my, my parents were not necessarily musical, but had a, a vested interest in music. We always had music on in the house. My mum was like a soul, Motown, the English and Irish, I should mention. Uh, and my dad was very much 70s rock type stuff, Led Zeppelin through to David Bowie and such. But there was always a lot of music on in the house. Uh, it's more my brothers, uh, my older brother, five years older. Uh, he's somewhat accomplished um, black and death metal drummer. Uh, it was was touring touring the world for for several years there. Um, f- filling in for bands and then had a recording studio and, and my younger brother was um, a very good uh, pianist actually and never really took to the stage much but we always had at least a drum kit and a piano in the house um, I, I, you know as much as I tried uh, I think the instrument thing never really took to me but was always interested in music and pop culture and genres and what came with it and uh, collecting music and buying CDs and yeah, so it was it was musical for me, but not so much uh, instrumental. But yeah, it was a, it was a music heavily focused house, I would say. Were you going to gigs locally or checking out some of the international acts coming to town? Uh, yeah, I you know I cut my teeth in the uh, in the local punk scene, which you know went out. Which I'm talking like underage. We would go to a lot of. Um, uh, punk and hardcore shows at the Leadable Skate Park. You know, they used to have those on a Sunday. We Again, we'd get on the train line and get up there and uh, spend the whole afternoon uh, around the skate park. And it was yeah, it was a funny scene at the time, but also very, um, I, like I look back on it fondly, you know, a lot of a lot of the older guys who were in the bands, you know, these like rock gods to me were like very um, – open and up for a chat and would you know acknowledge your existence and that as a 16 year old it was it was very important you know it was felt pretty cool you know so um yeah no i have very fond memories of local local music in in perth um i still i still see people around in perth and Fremantle that i know from that i know from that era um and then obviously as i came of, of age i think uh punk led pretty quickly into sort of indie indie dance and at the same time I was sort of keeping up my sort of uh, roots of punk with sort of I would visit DeVille's and go see ska bands, shout out the, uh, the special brew and you know I was keeping up with sort of rockabilly stuff and sort of sort of found my feet in dance floors I think somewhere between punk and ska and like I said was able to put that to indie and eventually electronic music but I always knew that I, I like dancing. Uh, you know, it didn't really matter to me the genre. I, yeah, I really got a buzz from 
being sweaty on the dance floor, you know, this is still underage stuff, but I was always, uh, even at primary school sort of discos and stuff, I was always the first on the dance floor, you know. That transition then from the sweatiness of the dance floor to being on the other side of the, the table, how did that come about for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm, again, I was always like identified myself as, you know, and, and my brothers as well. We had identified ourselves as music guys, you know, like we love music and such. Uh, so I always had a pretty, a pretty uh, epic collection of burnt CDs. Uh, this is this is sort of like uh, LimeWire, Winamp, uh, you know. So was, I, my brother again, five years older and four years younger. So our, our older brother showed us how to burn CDs and corrupt the family computer with uh, terrible downloads. But dial-up um, speed. <laughs> yeah, totally listening to that dial-up and you know leaving leaving the computer overnight to download like one album. Yeah. Like, if you woke up in the morning and it was done, it was like, okay, if I, if I burn this CD now, it's going to be ready to take to school. It'd probably take like 35, 40 minutes to like burn <laughs> one album. You know, and I can quickly get it in my Discman, you know. Um, uh, so I was always, uh, I, I always, when we started going to house parties and stuff, I always had the CD wallet in my backpack. So I was always like, Stand aside, guys. I've got the CDs, you know, uh, and that obviously moved into iPods. I was always the iPod guy, uh, and then when I started backpacking, I was very quickly like, "Yeah, <laughs> don't worry, guys. I'll handle the music," and that sort of transformed into like roles in hostels and stuff where they'd be like, "Have you got your iPod? Can you can you put music on?" I'm like, yeah, sure, you know. Um, and then it sort of started, you know, with uh, beach bars in Southeast Asia and. Yeah, ski ski chalets and hostels in Europe. Uh, I was always the source of music for all these things, so it, it was a pretty natural transition. I didn't actually start the technical DJing until probably twenty six or twenty seven. By that stage, I you know I knew I knew it was electronic music, and I was kind of finding my exact genres. And I spent a lot of time at festivals and clubs, and I uh, was you know, very much involved and I was taking note of songs and track IDs and following DJs, like following at that point was, was still blogs and, you know, specific de- specific websites for specific DJs. You had to read up on like festival re- reviews or, you know, there's, uh, you know, old, old, old websites that people would try and ID mixes and even though the mix wasn't even available to listen to people would still suggest what they thought was in that mix. And so it was, it was a very different way of uh, cataloging music at, at the time. Um, and then, yeah, as soon as I was sort of settled back in Australia, I was straight into buying DJ gear. And, um, yeah, it was quite a quick transition. Uh, as, as I said, it was always happy to provide the music and then it was just learning the technical <laughs> Uh, ebbs and flows of trying to read dance floors and mix music per se. Um, but I've always been, you know, I, I did, I wanted to mention actually, I thought of it today when I thought about things you would ask me, but I used to run um, party buses. I did like four or five party buses. I did the first one when I had a fake ID and I would get all my friends together. You know, I would make these like uh, MySpace collage 
pictures and send them out to all my MySpace friends. And we'd we'd have these pub crawl party buses, and I used I used to organise those through the age of like seventeen to twenty one. So yeah, I guess I always had the the sort of promoter spirit, you know, trying to promote a good time and soundtrack that good time. So would you be spinning on the decks during those party buses, or purely? No, so- again, again. So I, I yeah, I didn't. I hadn't touched any DJ equipment at that point, but I'd I'd highly curated the the playlist and even like gone as far as like just sort of editing them in like uh, old like Windows Media Player where you could just sort of chop <laughs> chop them shorter. And in hindsight, it was awful. I just tried to sort of sew together the best bits without any sort of mix or anything. Just chop chop chop. Like ah, oh, you know, between that pub and that pub, we've got twenty five minutes, and I really want the the bus to be like full party at that point, you know. So, and again, sort of was still in CD, burnt CD or, or iPod territory or even MP3 player. I think iPod was still a little, a little way out. Um, but yeah, there was, it was a very high focus on music curation for these party buses. <laughs> and that's a lot more uh, creativity than I thought you'd tell me. That's amazing. It's so cool, and uh, I, I really want to dig into your travels, actually, because um, being on your dance floors, I love the uh, influence of different cultures, and um, especially South America. You know, Brazil. You know, this show is called Frio de Janeiro. It's uh, been a big inspiration yeah, in in my life. But uh, I want to know how your travels around the world and the places you've been has shaped some of your taste in music as well, and what you play now. Yeah, sure. Um... I mean, I did I did pretty heavily the the backpacker trails for a few years. Uh, I, yeah, starting with Southeast Asia, I went down the dive instructor course, and um, and this was in Thailand. Uh, so I moved around Southeast Asia for sort of the better part of like fifteen months, um, and yeah, did the dive instructor bit uh, and actually lived with a, like an old like Ibiza head this old this older English guy and he he put me on to a lot of lounge and chill stuff like you know Ibiza loungy chill jazzy backgroundy stuff and as well as like East London jungle you know and then but but for actually culturally you know um fr- from there after going like I was in Europe for about four years uh, I was based in Vienna and at the time was very much well still is club wise like a little little brother to Berlin they say so it was, this is early two thousands very minimal tech house type thing and I was going to a lot of clubs at that point so that was that was kind of my deal and uh, after that was like a year in Latin America uh, which yeah actually prior to that I was already sort of um, I was a resident at El Grotto and you know Latin music had already appealed to me and whilst it was Mexican theme. There was a lot of Brazilian staff there, and you know, I'd lo- I'd met a lot of Brazilians in Europe who'd put me on to Brazilian music, and it really appealed to me. But to have a uh, sort of a, a purpose to sort of uh, you know aspire to collect more Latin music at, at the time. So I was I'd already been playing at El Grotto for a couple of years before I went for, for my year in Latin America, and so yeah, it was really immersed in. Yeah, <laughs> I unfortunately never made it to Brazil. Uh, I, I I figured it deserved a second trip, like its own trip, being a completely different language, you know, to the rest of Latin America. Um, but as far as like 
But as far as Colombia and Mexico, um, you know, for salsas, I went to uh, I went to like the World Salsa Championship oh, in nice. uh, in uh, <laughs> Colombia, in the south of Colombia, and um, yeah, just to see these like you know from like six year old kids right through to like fifty year olds, you know, doing doing this incredible dance and just you know even waiting for ferries at 7 a.m. in the morning and everyone just break out into a dance and it's <laughs> total festive spirit and you can't help but be like, wow, you know, immersed in this. And, um, yeah, as I said, I was always considered myself a dancer and as soon as I got to Latin America, I was, like, on the sidelines. <laughs> like, Get out of here, gringo. Like, yeah. Yeah, 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 I don't know what you're doing. But, yeah, yeah. you're right there. Yeah, so, um, but, no, for sure, every time... Every time now I uh, leave the country, uh, I try to focus in on wh- wherever I'm going. And now that r- records are such a big piece for me, it's, uh, it's yeah, every time I go on a trip, it's like this exciting thing. It's like, okay, w- what kind of records can I expect to be buying and what does this country specialise in? And, um, you, you know, I think there's a lot of research you can take. You know, I, I go back through and I see, like, you know, what sort of pressing plants which country had in what decades and what's going to be in abundance and what's going to be readily available and cheap. And, you know, I think it's like trying to, um, you know, you should try and eat what's available in a country, you know. Like, you know, if you if you are going to Asia, you don't seek to eat pasta and burgers, you know. You, you know, you try to eat what the locals eat or, or whatever, however you want to say it, but try and shop the right market, you know. So... Um, I always take that into consideration when going to a new country and trying to immerse myself in local music. And and at this point in time, there's always a, a modern translation for these things. And I think, uh, yeah, a lot of music can fit on a dance floor. And, you know, there's no better feeling than hearing a new style of music and just being like, what is this? This is amazing. Like, what are these instruments? Like, as you said, you're, you know, the fascination with Brazilian music, I think, I think they have an extreme amount of their own instruments, you know, com- compared to other, other other countries, the uh, the, the ganzo and the birimbal, and you know they they have their own noises. You know, you hear Brazilian music and you just hear noises that you don't hear mm. in other music, and you go, okay, this is Brazilian. You know, like a samba drum pattern. Like they have their own they have their own sound. It's incredible. I mean, it's just such a melting pot of a country. Um, you know, geography and historically speaking you know a lot of it's made up of a lot of nationalities and a lot of sounds and flavors and yeah um you know what they did for jazz you know i mean they changed the course of of jazz essentially you know uh, as a country which not many not many countries outside of the united states can say that you know and it's um uh yeah fascinating country for in every term, but in, in, in music, I think there are, for me, they're up there, at a, you know, probably musically one of my favorite countries. So for sure on the list of um, countries to visit with uh, a big intention to buy a lot of records. But uh, the, uh, yeah. the the 20 million Brazilian fans that we have that listen to the show, I'd be very yeah. happy with that, mate. So I think you've, you're going to re- receive an honorary visa and an invitation for Carnival. So I can see that. Uh, 
the Midway can't Records wait. tour happening, mate. <laughs> <right? laughs> I can't uh, wait. I look forward to it. I, I love what you said about um, you know when you're in the local market, you 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 do as the Romans do and don't go to an Italian restaurant and have chicken nuggets and chips, even though yeah. there's some people that do that. Um, yeah. uh, around the world, where you've you've gone to record stores and been digging the crates, what have been some of those bits of gold that you've struck on that have really resonated with you? Uh, I mean. Yeah, going back to Colombia just then, uh, you know, buying like Discos Fuentes uh, compilations in the street in Colombia for, you know, 30 cents a piece kind of thing and <laughs> carrying them around for the next six months, you know. <laughs> um, I was in New York last year, which is obviously a mecca for Disco and House with uh, so many brutes there and just incredible records sh- uh, shopping and options. Um Europe, of course, as well. Um, my partner being French-Canadian, uh, every time we go to Montreal, they were one of the bi- second biggest uh, record-pressing cities in the world uh, during, like in the late 70s, early 80s. So there's a lot of high-energy disco, Italo disco, uh, Unidisc, Gino Socchio. A lot, of these, a lot of this sound comes out of Montreal. Uh, so also an incredible city for record shopping. Um, I'm going to Paris next month. So there, again, another incredible city for record shopping. Last time I was there, I wasn't quite as serious into records as I am now. I think I brought home, you know, a handful of seven inches. I think this time it'll be substantial, substantial boxes sh- shipped Shipping home. Container? You know? Shipping container in Frio? <laughs> Maybe not a container, but, you know, uh, at least, at least a crate, you know, at least a box. I used to try and, you know, carry everything around and, you know, and try, but I've, I've got to the point now where I can justify the money to make it easier on myself, you know. Um, you know, it's not it's not worth carrying 30 kilos of records, you know, <laughs> through multiple cities anymore. I'm just like, okay, if I really want these, you know, I, it's not worth my back. <laughs> there is a subset of uh, listeners who... You know, that people don't understand that with DJing, there is the digital mixing, but there is that distinction with vinyl mixing. And it's something that um, you're very much an advocate of. Well, you do both, but um, the vinyl mixing is an area that, um, as I've started with digital mixing, I don't even feel like a DJ until you see people who actually do vinyl. That's, to me, what real DJs do. Um, yeah. It's so challenging. So just tell us about that aspect of vinyl mixing and what it's all about yeah look it's it's kind of a tricky one people like i you know people come to me and say oh you know what do you what do you think of digital I'm like oh it's an even you know real thing i think you know the crux of djing is is reading a room and you know providing a, a fun atmosphere and you know trying to raise the atmosphere or do you know control the atmosphere with music essentially so i you know I, I'm not a purist by any means. Uh, for me, I found it far more tangible to play with records and collect records, and like it's like it struck my interest. You know, um, digital serves its purpose, and you know, there's a there's a tremendous um, interview with Theo Parrish, uh, and a DJ producer from Detroit who talks about. Uh, the concept of, of replacing uh, artistry with convenience, and I think if you're, I think he mentions like, you know, if you're if you're 
pushing your artistry, whether it be digitally, you know, if you're doing things that you can't do with records, if you're, you know, live remixing, doing crazy loops, you know, if, if you're pushing that artistry, not just from a point of convenience, but from a point of having extra tools and utilizing those tools to do it in a way that can't be done, it's like one thing, but just to, uh, just to do it because it's easier or like, like just, yeah, just trying to make it, you know, yeah, and I'm not sure if I'm comparing it right. I, you know, I'm happy to play digital, but it just it, it doesn't do anything for me. It, you know, it serves its purpose. You know, and every now and then I wish, you know, in a, in a vinyl set, ah, oh, if, if I had that with me, I think that could have worked better. But sometimes I think, well, again, for me, having those constraints of I only have those records there, I need to make those work tonight to this crowd I think is a is an extra challenge you know and it 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 makes like it makes the DJ work harder and think better think think things through further you know you're trying to set up tracks three and four tracks in advance mm-hmm. you know a, a lot of I think a lot of music sits better in sort of a in context amongst Amongst other tracks, you know, you can really work up to a track. And, you know, if you see a record in your bag, like, oh, I want to play that, but we're not there. How am I going to get there? Which records can I use to get to that record? You know, and again, you can say the same thing for digital, but it's, yeah, you, you've you got 10,000 songs at your fingertips. I'd say, I think it's just, it's, it's a lot easier. And look, I'm, I'm, again, I'm happy to do it in, in scenarios, but it doesn't excite me. It doesn't give me pleasure. I don't come home and look at my USB. He's like, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Why, look at this thing. Cool, you know, whereas records for me, you know, I just come home and go through them, you know, and pull out things that, you know, I I feel like more is kind of left to chance, you know. Like, you know, sometimes you just buy things on a whim or, you know, you're gifted things and, you know, they have sort of, you know, if you want to say they have stories or whatever, but they have visual cues and I think they just, Ask more from you, but give more back. You know, I think they. I find it more rewarding. You know, it's harder. You know, and it's not just a wank thing. Like, oh, it's, it takes more skill or whatever. I, you know, I think if. I think whatever format helps you be a better DJ, then go with that. And for me, it was vinyl. You know, that was like okay. I, like I remember seeing, you know, a vinyl DJ for the first time. It was just like, what, what? This is it, man! Like, that's that's what I've been looking for, you know. I think even, you know, this. I think even genre-wise, you know, like production notes and things you can you start to recognize from records. You know, I can look at like I can look at records and just know, you know, through production notes, extra. You know, you just read through the instrumentation, you know, the, the city and the, the, like, the time frame, you know, that it was made in, just one, like, small cue, like, one small reference to another producer or, you know, the uh, bonus percussion, you know, extra conga track or, the, or, the, or, or it's got, like, a sex mix on there or an or erotic dub or something. You're like, okay, this is, you know, this is it. <laughs> There's, there's going to be something good on this record, I think, you know, or if it's like, you know, 92, New York or something, I'm like, okay, this is worth my time, you know. Um, but then as soon as we get to like, you know, 2001 or something, I'm like, okay, 
or leave that. But if it's 2001 out of Leipzig, then I'm like, okay, I'll listen to that. You know, I think you, you learn more just from those notes, those production notes. Um, just get more information, more to hold, more to look at, more to work with, you know. So again, that's what I found pushed my DJing was records essentially. So yeah, thanks I'll, for sharing that. Thanks for sharing that Theo Parrish um, thought as well. That's I never thought it that way myself. Um, and I, I really want to know who was that vinyl DJ you saw for the first time that made you change. <laughs> Uh, there was there was quite a lot in um, Vienna at the time. There was a guy called um, uh, Shay Monsieur, <laughs> and he, he played all this like essentially folk and traditional country, you know, music of the world. I don't like to say world music, but music, our uh, you know, outer national music. Um, so he wasn't necessarily like the tech house guy I was looking for, but just pulling out like the most obscure of obscure records and like making them work. And I was just like, where did he get these? Like what, you know, (laughs) like the effort he must've gone to. And then he was like a real, you know, top hat and suspender type, you know, (laughs) like, like he had this really, he was very dapper, you know, and he'd come up there and go through his crate of like, like 45s and, you know, put these crackly old old, old records on and just, I was like, the F. And then seeing him leave the club, you know, because he never stayed very long. He'd just do his thing and see himself out sort of. And see him cut all his records out. I was like, wow, he, he, he put a lot of time and effort into this. Like, that's crazy. Um, but, and then, you know, moving forward, you know, like my DJ hero is Mr. Scruff. Uh, I've probably told most people that. But, um, and he's, you know, one of the largest uh, record collections in the UK, and that's, that's saying a lot. There's a lot of big record collections in the UK. Um, but just the way, you know, he would just do these insane mixes. You're not even sure what song is, you know, which song is finished and what started, and he would use all guitar pedals for delays and just like, you know, you think you've heard a song and then you hear someone like that mix it, you know, just keep the mix in for minutes and, you know, start the mix again while it's still mixing, you know, like you're just, how is this, how is this still just record, you know, like live remixes with records, you know, delay pedals and stuff. And then coming back to Perth, like I just ran into Ben Taff, just started seeing Ben Taff everywhere. This guy's incredible, you know. So I, I think it's really important to have that on a local scale as well. And also just a great sort of local figurehead for dance music. And, you know, I, I started pestering him as soon as I got home. Like, what what turntable should I buy? Like, can you give me gigs? <laughs> you know, like, um, he was always very patient and always, always had answers for me and stuff like that. And in hindsight, I know what an insanely busy guy he was, you know. So he's got, got kids riding him like, you know, I wasn't even the kid at the time, but, you know, budding young DJs trying to, trying to find their way uh, and he always made time to reply to my messages and stuff like that or or have a chat in person and stuff like that so um, yeah I think that's really important um, it's something I try to do now just because it was a, it was something that was afforded to me when I had no idea what I was doing and I think that's important and part of you know the DJ thing I think you should be 
an approachable part of a party. You know, I think it's I'm seeing it more and more, which is great. You know, people are openly, you know, market themselves as a not just a promoter, but as as, as someone to come and talk to. As it, you know, if there's if you have an issue or whether you just want to discuss what's happening, and I, I think that's a, a great step forward in party spaces and something that wasn't there, you know, 15 years ago or something, or not not at parties I was at. It was always like you know, promoters were just backstage or in the VIP area or something and um, like everything you know you take the bits you like from your experiences and when you start doing it you try to implement those in, into your process and yeah I think it's important and you know gives back when you're when you're a vocal point of a party and you know you engage with people and you know especially early like with events that, that I do you know, I've got uh, if I'm sharing with another DJ or something, I always take time to come around the dance floor, and I think that's really makes people feel like they're not just welcome but engaged and part of the party. And because again, as I said to you, like you can't can't have parties without people. You know, people make parties. You know, you can have you can have you know the best sound system, incredible space, and everything. But if there's, if people aren't comfortable and you know the energy's not right, then you know, you're not going to get a good party. Essentially, you're not going to create any any sort of atmosphere. And you know, I, I think it all stems up from the ground. You know, like the early time and the the early hours of a party. You know, when people rock up, it's a bit weird. And you know, I think it's. I always I always try and tell people to try and, try and come early and become and familiarize yourself with the space. You know, and you know, when you walk into a really crowded nightclub or party or something. And, you try and find your way to the front and you're like, oh, there's lots of people and no one's really moving for you or something. And you're like, oh, it's hard to feel comfortable. But if you're there from the start, I'm, I'm not suggesting everyone has to spend eight hours on the dance floor or something, you know, but if you've been there when the space is empty and a bit lighter, you know, you, you familiarise yourself and you become comfortable in the space. And then as it fills up, you feel like you can always come back to that space because you were you know, you were there before, you know, you, you know, you're familiar with it, you know. Again, I think that's important for parties to, you know, try to try and go early. You know, I, I know it's a bit of a drag sometimes you know, uh, for people, but yeah, I, I really think, you know, if you're listening to this and you think, you know, I don't want to go until it gets good, go, go to the party, make it good. Go to the space, meet, meet the people, you know, be, be a part of the party, make it, make the party good. You know, It gives you that, Psych- psychological disco safety in a way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're like, I know this space. I was here when it wasn't, you know, dark with lasers and really loud. You know, I was here when it was when it was approachable and, you know, and essentially, you know, v- venues need your support. Yeah, the way I do it, it's I try to try to keep parties free and try to make them, you know, accessible and. You know, try to make, try to involve the venue as well, and not just be like a, you know, come in and sort of, you know, boss my way around sort of thing. I think it's important to have communication with the venues and, you know, the, for the venues to be on board. You know, it's got to be, it's got to be a team effort. You know, you've got to chat with staff and communicate, and you know, for venues to for parties to run well. You know, it's all well and good to have the rock star DJ come through. 
you know, and play the set. But I think, you know, yeah, the venue's got to be on board and the staff have got to be on board as well. Want to want it to be a good night. You know, that's when the best parties happen, I think, when the staff are, are, are loving it as well and, you know, the energy's good and, you know, service is smooth and everyone's happy and it's, it's like, wow. I got to say, man, because when I see your name on a party now, I know it's going to be a party worth going to, which I think is a massive compliment to what you've been doing. Yeah, thanks. You've really added to the Fremantle Wallyal Up scene because, like, I just feel over the last ten years, like this, the the brands, if I can use that term, that you've created, like yeah. Plantasia or the the different types of parties that you do. I'd love to know how you've thought about. The, creating those have they been deliberate or are they just organic um, and how they've evolved yeah thanks uh means a lot because yeah we do try and i say we uh shout out mr daniel dalton who i who i do a lot of events with um but yeah i think i think um that sort of brand trust and familiarity familiarity that trust you put in you know that's Essentially, what I'm working with um, is is trust that people have. You know, you're going, you know, Saturday night or Sunday night, or whatever. It's in, everyone's time is important to them. You know, especially as you get, oh, you know, as you're near thirty, you know, it's you're like 60. you know, I can't, <laughs> yeah, you know, I can't go to every party. You know, I, I, I you have to be selective. Um, you know, and you've got to trust what's the what's going to be provided there. And, and every time I put something on, you know, I, I think you put that on the line a little bit, you know. Um, so it's, yeah, for me it's always been really important to, yeah, to be really careful with people's trust and try not to just, you know, willy-nilly throw too many parties and not in spaces that I don't, I can't see working or just, you know, trying to hustle too hard or, you know, not putting on parties or, or events in spaces that I don't believe can work, you know. And, um, and it's, you know, I'm especially proud that it's happening in Fremantle. I think it was good timing. Um, a good friend of mine was putting on the Club Med parties uh, a few years back and it was really, for our, for our age group, I, I felt like the first consistent parties in Fremantle um, – since I had lived there, you know, outside of like, and when I say parties, I know there's, I know there's always been clubs and bars and things, but I mean that sort of community party for underground dance music that you can trust. Again, trust the name, you know, it's going to be good and you know, you're going to see people, you know, or at least like-minded people that, you know, are going to be on the dance floor, not because they're out to be drunk, but because they want to go dancing, you know? Um, and so, yeah, when Club Med, took a break, um, you know, I didn't want to take a break. Uh, you know, I was, I was DJing a few of those events and I was like, this is, you know, I see I see this can continue going and I really want it to keep going. Uh, so obviously, as I mentioned before, it obviously started with, with, with several empty empty dance floors, you know, but as like a snowball down the hill, you know, it's with every, I always said every gig leads to another gig and I, I still believe that every gig I do um, – you know, leads to more more people coming to the next party, you know. There's always someone on the dance floor for the first time with you, I think. And I, I think that's important to keep in mind. 
you know, again, in maintaining people's trust or earning their trust as far as wanting to spend their time and money with you because, you know, there's there's hundreds of bars and, you know, I'm not going to say hundreds of dance parties every <laughs> every night in Perth. You know, it's obviously a smaller pool than that. But, you know, there's always – there can be 10 worthwhile things on a Saturday night in Perth, you know, that you can spend your time and money on, you know. And, and so, yeah, I think – having people's trust with, you know, with planning their weekend around your party, whatever it may be. I think that's really important. As for the different uh, arms and legs, uh, the different parties, it has all been pretty organic, I think. Um, I'm, I've always liked things to have be sort of themed. Um, and I really like people ask me how I come up with it, but it's, yeah, I kind of look in the space a bit or, or musically, like where I think it's headed. Um, and Plantasia was was obvious with the plants, and we, you know, it's kind of a greenhouse sort of space. Yeah, so cool. Um, and yeah, it's uh, yeah, really happy with that. Well, essentially, we needed a roof. We were we started like the first summer at the federal, and it was great. But it was like, man, it's you know, it comes around at this time of year, May, and it was like it's getting. Very iffy, you know. Uh, so I was like, we need a we need a roof, man, you know. So yeah, social just opened and started working with them, and it's you know obviously better weeks and you know some incredible weeks, but it's it's been a very consistent party for us for Sunday night. You know, I think our parties were born out of Sunday nights. You know, in a very good. I think Sunday night is a uh, kind of proves who either either you work in hospitality. <laughs> And it's your Friday, and if you're hosp- if you're hospo, you you know you know how bars work. You, you you know you're there for fun. You're well behaved. You're respectful. You know, uh, like our hospo shout out Fremantle hospo. They're a group of legends, um, and yeah, really sort of kickstarted uh, the brand. I would say um, as far as Sunday night parties, and then from there it was like okay we could we could probably do something outside of sunday a lot of people were like i work on monday (laughs) me too you know i get that you know uh so yeah hard jazz was like kind of a risk um such a you know when i put it to the venue and to and and to dan he they were both like wow it seems pretty limited man like don't you know is this just one party i said no it's gonna be but just you've got to open that that uh, that that umbrella of jazz. What what is jazz? You know what is jazzy? If it's jazzy, we'll play it. You know, and the first couple we were like pretty stressful trying to play what we thought. You know, is the, there was definitely a couple of chin strokers in the room. I've been like, is this jazz still? You know, and and I think once we got through that storm uh, and sort of solidified you know, the theme and what hard jazz was to us. Uh, now I think it's uh, really, I'm really probably most proud of that party uh, just because of, yeah, people's o- openness to music. And it's, I'd be really sad to our best crowd, you know, they, you know, there's a lot of musicians there as well and people who know music and, you know, who are listening to different parts of songs and, you know, can hear, you know, just, just crazy yahoos for a flute song or whatever. <laughs> I'm always joking about the flute solos, but it's you know just you know you can you can tell when you're playing to people who are really listening, you know, not just waiting for another 
kick drum to drop, you know, actually listening to songs and going, wow, yeah. Like, so, yeah, it's really incredible to see that work and to see people's enthusiasm uh, for, like, I guess sort of a niche party. Um, so, but, yeah, I, I just sort of I, I tinker away. Again, sort of with, you know, re- records makes this really easy. You know, you're looking at pictures and inspirations and again details of music and uh you know it makes it easier to come up with things or at least just you know steal ideas you know mm. <laughs> or, or just to base base ideas off of off of albums and things you know um it's an endless source and you know there's always a new idea and whenever i you know whenever a, a new venue presents itself wanting to do you know if, if it's a space that i think can work then um, yeah, I try to curate an idea for that space. I think so. Um, the hard jazz uh, vibe is amazing, and as a Dockers fan with the purple, you've got the disco balls, you've got this purple mm. haze in the sky, and yeah. you, you know you've transformed the the back of the Clancy's Fish Pub into this incredible um, out of world dance floor so it's really cool um there's just one more that uh one more party or party or event i could say um see i'm someone who likes a bike but i'm still on my training wheels and you're someone who can ride your bike but still be playing at the same time and have hordes of uh cyclists behind you and go on some awesome trails tell us about how the uh, the, the parties that you do, uh, where they're you're on your wheels, uh, evolved yeah. and started. Yeah, the, uh, the, the, the bike DJ, DJ bike, I don't know what I call it. Um, so uh, there's some, some lovely gents at a brand called uh, South Beach Aperitivo, which is a, a locally um, brewed um, aperitif type, not going to say the word, uh, famous orange drink but this is a pink version of that um born in Fremantle, and uh they reached out to me a few years ago now and were like we should we should collab on something you know it's the first time i you know dm for collab you know it's kind of cool i was like yeah we could yeah we could do something out you know i like their branding and stuff and we went back and forth with a few ideas and um yeah eventually one of those guys uh Yes, sent me the the Dom Whiting, who's the original sort of DJ bike guy in the UK as a drum and bass guy, and yeah, I'd already seen it. I was like, of course, of course, that's what we do. Yeah, perfect. Uh, why didn't I think of that? We yeah, so we from there we we started brainstorming and trying to you know, there's a lot of Reddit um, threads about how he does it and how it works, and you know, went down the research rabbit hole, but essentially. Yeah, they sort of facilitated the bike. And the original one, um, yeah, I worked on and did, the, like, the modifications to, to make sure everything was going to stay on the bike. Um, and so, sadly, that bike was – we did one, and it was great success, and it was this really cool thing. And then uh, the bike got stolen, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, it was just uh, – it was, it was kind of left in a courtyard um, – uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna defend myself. I had nothing to do with it. I was, I re- was running the the after party, you know, but it was locked in a courtyard, but not locked in the courtyard. If that makes sense. Uh, anyway, so sadly that bike 
was gone. So it was kind of a blessing in disguise because the guys went, okay, we'll go back and build the 2.0. Um, and the new bike was a, an e-bike and they had it more, more professionally custom built. And, um, and yeah, so we did a, a run of three, three different bike parties this year. Um, Fremantle, Leadable, and on Wajima, which is probably most people's favorite. Um, so essentially it's just, yeah, ride along play, playing music. Um, and people follow along with there's this crazy brand of speakers. Um, they're a Scandinavian brand. Uh, they're high performance. X, uh, they take an XLR that they coined as the first sort of battery performance speaker. And, uh, and you can link them up wirelessly. So on Rotness, for example, we had six of those and, um, linked them all up. And we had, so two on my bike and then another two bikes with two speakers each. And so essentially people just follow the, the sound of the music around. And yeah, it's been a really nice concept. Um, as far as logistically, that's a lot of people's questions. Like, how do you write and DJ? Uh, coming from, coming from vinyl mixing, like mixing on the, on the controllers, like, yeah, very easy. And I'm not doing any sort of, uh, you know, mind blowingly, complicated mixes <laughs> yeah, on vinyl while, while on a bike <laughs> yeah i'm keeping it pretty straightforward just just sort of focusing on the on the um selections there but it's no it's been really nice uh it's been a really cool concept to work with and they've been great to work with um and people have got a real kick out of it um and yeah there's a few moments there where like yeah people said to me like that that song with that um you know landscape and just was like yeah, amazing. So it was, yeah, a very cool concept. Um, I think we've put it to put it to rest for a little while. I think three was probably enough for the summer. Uh, we'll we'll see where we're at n- next summer. See if there's a demand for it. But um, definitely a cool, definitely a cool concept. But uh, I was very happy to be maybe DJing. One, uh... Maybe one Dandy. up in, uh, in, in Exmouth because uh, you got the Ningaloo Records name, yeah. which I want to ask you about. Uh, it's a fantastic yeah, name so and brand. But, yeah, tell us about that you. connection. Uh, so, yeah, essentially, um, uh, originally I wanted to come up with a brand, uh, like I wanted to do a label thing. I wanted to do all these things at once. You know, I was doing a lot of carpentry for vinyl essentially i still do a little bit but less so but initially i was doing record crates seven inch carry boxes turntable housings like anything i could make out of wood for records you know so i wanted a brand for this and i was like eventually i'll you know i'm going to release dj edits and these sort of things so i'll start with i'll get a head start with the with it as a label you know a label brand a figure a figurehead whatever you want to call it um, and so, yeah, I really wanted to scream Western Australia. Um, and so previously, I think I mentioned already, I worked as a scuba diving instructor and I still currently work, um, as a, a boat builder during the week on the shipwright. So a lot of, uh, marine construction, everything's on boats. Um, the actual, uh, Aboriginal definition for Ningaloo is a uh, is a prominent land over deep water, so the meaning for me I've adapted is the is the deep water aspect, and so deep water, deep crates, deep roots, 
deep music, you know, a deep, a deeper connection to music. Um, and so this, this sort of com- compiled all of those aspects for me, you know, the seaside living, you know, screams Western Australia, but not to everyone, you know, and once people, what is that, you know, our friends overseas, oh, what does it mean? I'm like, Google it, you know. I'm like, oh, it's, it's a reef, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you know, I want, once I decided, you know, I was going to settle here in Fremantle and live, you know, there was there was a time where I didn't think I would live here. So when I made that decision, I wanted my music brand to represent where we live um, and then, yeah, just tied in with all my nautical aspects, I guess. So, um, but yeah, there's been a, there's been a lot of, um, uh, emails and message queries about when's the Ningaloo, when's the Xmouth gigs going to happen. Uh, and I say to them, whenever, <laughs> whenever you want to do it, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I actually went a few years ago and I don't know if I'm ready to drive straight back up there, but. Uh, I'm sure there's something in the works not far away. So, Well, mate, after this podcast, uh, you've got the the Rio tour, you've got the Ningaloo tour. There's, uh, uh, and I've totally I, I got, got to ask you, you know, as someone who um, does a lot of events and I'm sure you're getting a lot of um, asks and DMs for collabs, uh, how do you mm-hmm. balance it out? And I'm sure saying no comes um, at a point as well and just how you think through all of those types of asks that you have now as Ningaloo Records. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. It was never something that ever dawned on me that I would ever say no to anything, you know. Like I was – that's also advice for, for young DJs is like say yes to everything, you know, I think. You know, there's – like I mean there's a couple of ways to look at it, you know. If you, like if you want your cool branding and, you know, you want to do your occasional club set or whatever, but if you want to, if you want to become a good, versatile DJ, DJ lots. You know, and then, you know, if something does come of it, then you can be more selective, which is what worked for me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, now I am I am a bit more selective, again, purely because uh, of this trust thing I was talking about, uh, like the punter trust, you know, the guests of the parties, you know. Um, of course, there's been scenarios where I've thought, you know, something could work and it hasn't worked quite as I'd I imagined, you know, and then, you know, people rock up and I, you know, I'm like, shit, you know, this is, this is not a good space. I'm really sorry. You know, like this sucks. You should go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like, this is not going well. You should, you should, you know, I appreciate you coming, but go find something else. <laughs> I'd recommend this and this tonight. over this. <laughs> you know, uh, but, but again, so yeah, it's, it is, it is, it has become a bit of, a balance, you know, choosing the right things per se. But, you know, I think if people's, you know, whether I'm dealing with a venue directly or a promoter or something, I think if people, you know, if their hearts are in the right place musically, you know, and they know what they're asking for, you know, uh, you know, when people just come through like, oh, you, you're popular, come and play this. I'm like, you know, like, that's not me at all. You know, <laughs> you obviously don't, know what what I'm doing here or what I'm trying to do or you know and I think that goes for all all you know if it feels right if it feels right for you in any in any in any facet of life you know if it feels right it probably is right you know there's going to be mistakes but yeah it's it's a weird feeling to actually say no to things and then 
people ask again. I was like, wow, <laughs> wow, okay. And, you know, and, and when people ask again, I look at it sort of differently again. I'm like, okay, you, you're keen? You're really keen? <laughs> you know? uh, so, yeah, I, I think you've just got to decipher those things. I'm really interested um, having, you know, played a few parties over the last couple of years that I've been doing this, and I know you as an expert, I just really wanted to understand the emotional side of being a DJ. And uh, the few people I've spoken to, some are extremely nervous at the beginning or even during or, you know, afterwards you're exhausted. How have you evolved in your emotional capabilities and, and what you feel as a DJ before, during and after sets? Oh, it's yeah, it's it's weird sometimes. I like I still I still feel weird, you know, like there's still nervousy feelings at times, and you know it depends on the spec, you know, depends on what's going on in the room. Or I think when there's nothing going on is when I feel most at ease, you know, when things lift organically, um, you know, when I've got time to warm up. I'm not very good at the like busy party this is your like one hour to come in and like you know play you know make it banging you know like that's weird for me you know it always takes me a while to get my ears around the sound in the booth and stuff you know yeah that's why i normally that's why i try to play long sets because you know i've had time to warm up and I'm like you know i get comfortable in the space but you know sometimes it's so it's so easy like you just walk in and everyone's just so full of joy and like happy to see you and you know applauding everything you're doing and it's like okay cool yeah sweet you know and you feed off of that uh and then other times yeah it's yeah yeah you can be thrown really easily and I, you know i still see you know people i consider you know much better DJs than me get thrown because it's it's quite easy for it to happen you know uh when all you've got to think about is like the next track you're going to play sometimes you don't even have to think you know it's like so easy it's like so organic you know it's sometimes the songs just choose themselves you know it's like you know and i find that again doubling back on records you know you know you go through the bag and whatever's there is there and it's like okay this you know this is the moment for that song if not now then you know like i'm not going to get back here so play this track now you know and again you know when when that's all flowing and it feels easy and you know that's why i always Again, with, with Dan, when we set up our parties, we go to like, you know, we take the time and we do everything right, you know, w- what we consider right as far as tables and spacing and workspace flow. And when all that works really well and all you've got to do is play music, you know, when everything works and the space works and the extra little touches make the party a bit more special um, and all you've got to do is just, yeah, you can actually, I can actually be really relaxed and have, you know, the most fun ever, which is, you know, kind of the, the hope for every party, right? So, um, yeah, I, I I think, you know, like with everything, the more you do it, the more comfortable you, you get you get with it and hopefully the more fun you can have and the more risks you can take. And But, yeah, there's always going to be mistakes and people who aren't, you know, music's so you know it's it's an opinion you know there's there's obviously good and better music you know but at the end of the day everyone's entitled to what they think sounds good and so you know for you to come up and say this is what i think sounds good like you know it's a 
it's kind of a weird thing because everyone's entitled to say this is not good. <laughs> well, fair play to you. Like, that's, you know, that's your opinion. You know, that's cool. You know, <laughs> everyone else is enjoying it. And there's always going to be those people who aren't feeling it. And it's, I say to them, like, tonight's it's probably not for you, but that's, that's fine, you know. Uh, so it's just trying to, you know, l- look past the people who aren't enjoying it and try to find the ones who are, you know. Again, I, I think there's always one. Every every gig, you know, even the worst ones I've had, there's always been one. One person has come up at the end and been like, I, was, I really enjoyed that. Thank you. And even if it's one out of, you know, 200, it's like, okay, oh, I'll take that, you know. <laughs> I'll see you at the next gig, you know. Yeah, it's amazing how it makes you feel, hey, that you just hold on to that one. Like, Yeah, 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 yeah. It only takes one, you know. So, so uh, you know, if you... I recommend anyone listening to this, if you know, if you've enjoyed a DJ set, you should go and tell them. You know, or a musician or or, or, or or a podcaster or anything, you know, you know. Let them know you enjoyed it, you know, even if it's anonymously or, or however you want to do it, you know. Just let them know that they're fighting the good fight and they should keep doing what they're doing, you know. I had some a few pivotal moments like that where it was like, Okay, I'm on the right track, you know. Even if tonight didn't feel like it, um, got to keep going forward. Well, Josh, tonight definitely felt like it. This has been such a joy. Um, I'm so thrilled that you got to come and speak about your craft with me and um, and the listener. Uh, is there anything you'd like to leave the the audience with? Anything you'd like to promote? I know we've talked about a few things, but floor's yours. Oh man, I mean, you know, I think. Instagram being the powerful tool that it is, um, I think that does enough promoting of specific gigs. But uh, yeah, if if um, you know if you if you're enjoying music and it feels like something you want to pursue, then I I recommend it. You know, and if again you know if you're enjoying someone else's music, let them know. Let them know that you've enjoyed it, and and also if any like you know again if it's not clear, I'm. I'm very open to, to conversations with people about music and p- pursuing DJing and feel free to reach out. Um, again, it's part of a community thing and it was, it was a luxury that was afforded to me and I'm very happy to afford that to anyone who wants any advices or, you know, as far as record collecting or DJing or doing anything. So reach out and um, do the things you like, do the things that bring you joy and they'll probably reward you back. Thank you so much, Josh. Ningaloo Records. One Thank day, you, uh, No problems. Yeah, one day the dream is we can do a, a party together or be on the same lineup. That's uh, That'll be amazing. But, uh, mate, cheers. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. I'd love to talk about that, mate. Please reach out. And there we have it. That was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening as a community-cultivated, independent podcast. Your support means the world. So we can keep these important conversations flowing, taking Wallyl up to the world and the world to Wallyl up. Until next time, keep smiling, keep scoring.